0: Well, What's up, everyone? I'm Matt Kreiser, and this is the Matt Kreiser Show. Today, I'm so excited to have on Jeff Brown, the CEO and president of USA Properties, which is one of the largest developers and owners of low-income housing in the country. Uh, Jeff's been a developer of low-income housing since 1989 when he joined the firm his father founded in 1981. So I'm excited today to get into all this with Jeff. You know, we've seen housing prices go through the roof, whether it's, uh, you know, expensive to rent or the home that you own has gone up, you know, 10, 20, even 30% in value since COVID. So uh, Jeff, thanks so much for coming on the show.
1: Happy to be here. Yeah.
0: All right. Before so to our discussion. Yeah, it's going to be good. We're going to get into it. Uh, so let's go ahead and get into it. You know, uh, it doesn't matter if, you know, you're low income and you're struggling to make rent or, you know, you own a home or you were looking to buy a home and you've seen it just go up so much since COVID last March. What do you think's going on here?
1: Well a, a number of things are going on um, the the uh, if you take a historical perspective of California and I'm not just talking uh, affordable housing I'm talking all housing um, the state tends to have peaks and then you know a couple valleys we we uh, I'm old enough to not only remember the 19 uh, or uh, the 2008 recession, but also the 1990-91 recession when we had the defense based closures and the savings and loans uh, kind of went sideways. And then in the late 90s, we we had a pretty uh, and that's when uh, uh, the Clinton administration, followed by the Bush administration, wanted everybody to be a homeowner. And uh, they freed up, there was a lot of liquidity in the market at that time, kind of similar to now, and I'll get to now in a minute. But uh, in the early 2000s, you had a lot of uh, uh, single family building going on, a lot of crazy lending, which led to a lot of escalation of prices. And then w- what occurred in 2008 is uh, the bubble burst. And, uh, or, uh and, and one of the things that's contributing to the condition now is when that bubble burst, uh, there was no building and uh, you had a lot of subcontractors and laborers leave the industry because there was no work. And I can remember in 2011 uh, saying what's going to happen is the market is gonna come back and, and uh, we're going to have a, a scarce resource of labor. And the same is true, like right now, lumber has gone up like th- literally 300% in the last 18 months. Um, and there's
0: no way that that's just pent up demand though, so, right? There's got to be some monetary is, policy there.
1: Is I'm getting back to 2008, Right. not only did subcontractors leave the industry, laborers leave the industry because there was no work you had lumber mills that were cranking out a lot in the housing boom of the 2000s, that all of a sudden there was no demand for lumber at that point. And so you had lumber mills close. You also have politics in like Oregon where uh, most of the lumber now produces on private land uh, because the environmentalists won't let it be produced on lumber on public land. So you have that going on as well but you had a contraction of, of supply, building supplies, materials, and labor, and not all supplies, but ver- various supplies and labor. And so you didn't really see the effects of that until 2015. And then 2015 in the apartment industry, we really started seeing uh, construction costs Uh, from I would say middle of 2016 to now the middle of 2021, we're basically there now. Last six years, you've had basically doubling of construction costs. uh, What I consider sticks and stones uh, and and part of that's labor again, and part of that's material. And um, what's now you're asking me specifically in the last uh, year what's contributed to that condition in in the COVID uh, era. And I can tell you, uh, we've had low interest rates, stay low. We've had a significant, for between 2015 and the end of say 2019, there wasn't a significant increase in single family home production. All of a sudden, you drive around Sacramento and all of a sudden they're building everywhere you can turn around, which means he, you know, builders need uh, lumber, builders need workers, you know, et cetera. And so that, that I think is contributing to the condition a lot. And, but, but you have a millennials coming into the market, you have low interest rates and it, it's a crazy condition. A good friend of mine uh, went into contract in a house out in Rockland in January And uh, I saw her about three months ago, just getting married. She said, if we went into, and I'm guessing her house, I didn't ask her, but I'm guessing it's in the amount of, in the $600,000 range for a, you know, entry-level house. So not cheap when you're starting out. She said, if she went into contract today being, you know, when I saw her like three weeks ago, four weeks ago, that number would have been $100,000 higher. So what that partly tells me is, back to what I'm saying of what happened in 2008 when you had all the crazy lending going on uh, that propped up single family development and prices, you know, you have to ask yourself, will the bubble in the single family market burst at some point again? But the other thing that, you, that is another big part of what's going on is the migration out of the cities into the suburbs. Real estate values in downtown San Francisco and downtown L.A. and downtown San Francisco or Sacramento have not gone up in the last 15, 16 months because people don't need to be where their jobs are. You don't have restaurants open. You don't have uh, stadiums open. You don't have theater open. You know, there's not. So those areas have not gone up of value but the the cause and effect of people migrating out of those areas has created inflation and increase in building and uh values going up in the suburbia areas and we you know we've seen that in our apartments too we uh just sold and closed a project a market rate apartment project yesterday in roseville we have another one in Folsom, and these are big projects 300 units and i think we benefited from that migration out of the Bay Area to Sacramento, I think the Inland Empire down in LA is experiencing the same thing, where we have a project right now in San Jose, Santa Clara, that is struggling to lease up because again, now that that you know, is that a market a, rate or
0: low income house? That's a market
1: rate, okay. And I'll get to the affordable in a second, but the the, the I think that settles out uh, as we come out of the. Uh, COVID and, and the one and the other thing is, is the one we have in Santa Clara is the elderly. Elderly haven't been wanting to move as much, you know, the over 55 population hasn't been as mobile as the under 55 population during this time. So that's part of what also is going on there. So I I do think going forward, um, I think there's plenty of pent up demand still in the affordable housing. I mean, we're supposed to be building all types of housing uh units a year and that could be an apartment unit or a single family home we're building about 80. so we're way behind coupled with basically a third of all californians pay over half their income in their housing and that's just not affordable housing renters that's people that own homes so mm-hmm. so you have this uh construction, you still have a supply uh, deficit, which I think ultimately does revitalize the cities because I somebody's going to wake up one morning and go, wait a minute, it's not as expensive to live in the inner cities as it used to be, which I think helps, you know, get people back there. Um, But, um, you know, in terms of where the prices are going, you know, it's always, you you know, you want me to ask where interest rates are going, I think they're going up, but boy, these things are hard to predict, but I don't think anytime you see a huge increase um, it, versus a gradual increase, you always begs the question, is that sustainable? And at what point do people just can't afford to buy those houses if they're continuing to escalate? Because you know the wages aren't keeping pace, though I do think wages are still, are now finally going up. And I don't mean just minimum wage or whatever, because the uh, there's a contraction of, uh, of uh, labor right now. And I'm not talking just in our business. I'm thinking restaurant workers, whatever, even truck drivers, I heard there's a shortage. So I do think wages are gonna start going up more than they have, but um, are they gonna keep pace with housing? Well, they're not gonna keep pace with housing if the prices keep going like they are. And sooner or later, we're also gonna have inflation in this country and um, you're already starting to see it, and that usually will be mean uh, interest rates will follow that, and that's going to mean it's more uh, expensive to buy a home and finance a home. So then the question is going to be, you know, do prices then settle out when that happens, or what happens at that point? But right. Uh, right. that's uh, that's kind of my crystal ball. Uh, I think in the space we're in, I mean we. We, we do market rate housing, but we're primarily affordable housing developer. Um, you know, I, I I like to say I like market rate housing in a supporting role and affordable housing in a leading role. Uh, one of the buzzwords right now. And Why now, do you like that? Why do you say that? Well, because affordable housing, you know, it, it's interesting. The risk profile on affordable housing is on the front end. The risk profile on market rate housing is on the back end.
0: And explain in other that words, to people. you
1: don't need a bond allocation to do market rate housing. You need to make your sources and uses work on both deals, and which, which in the market rate space means is you need to uh, be able to hit a certain return on cost to attract equity capital. But assuming you can do that and get a project, you know, uh, approved and entitled, and have a, you know, a, a deep decent design. You, you're not taking the risk of competing with everybody else to get a bond allocation to do a 4% deal or even a 9% deal. So there's less risk. And, and a lot of times in the affordable, you also need to cobble get uh, together other uh, soft money in order to make those deals work. When in market rate, traditionally, you're just going to have a construction loan and, and private equity. So the, 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 the financing, is a lot simpler on market rate. You can tend to do bigger projects. I like that. But also, the negative of market rate is usually it requires a lot more capital investment for a company like ours, number one. And on the back end, you're taking more market rate risk when you lease it up. There's no, and it's not as forgiving. I mean, affordable, if your costs go over. Part of how you generate your tax credits is on basis. So in theory, part of that gets alleviated. And you know, when you're renting it up, you're below market. I mean, our affordable housing portfolio of just under 11,000 units, we're running 97, 98% occupied. So I don't perceive that as a big, big, uh, you know, risk in terms of the lease up. Where the right. market rate, do, you you, do you mind if I stop you, Jeff? Do
0: you mind if I stop you? Um, So there's a lot there. We got to cut all the way back to the beginning. But first on this, so people understand, uh, it's not just a little bit more equity in the market. It's a lot more. I mean, really, what would you say your equity you're sinking in on the affordable? The entire thing's covered except for your overhead expense of your staff and whatever money you're putting into entitlements and things like that. Well, the
1: risk on that is on the front end, we can be investing for a half a million to a million dollars. But you're right. When the deal closes, you're getting we're typically getting that money back with your tax credit investor and your lender and your soft money. Where in the market rate deal, you're leaving. I mean, that number could be two to three million. That number could be over 10 million. Right. And it just depends on how much equity capital you want to have and what you know, what you have to give up for that equity capital. Right. So it's, it, it, it's a lot more, uh, it requires a lot more capital.
0: So what you said earlier is really interesting. When I heard you talk about closing the deal in Roseville um, that you just traded out of, uh, you called it inflation. You didn't, so to me, it sounds like your view on this market spike, whether it be multifamily or single family, is that it's more transitory. Um and you may have benefited from it and locked in those gains on that property, but I didn't hear you say, oh, my my apartment complex appreciated. I heard you say that it inflated. So talk to me about that, how you're thinking about that.
1: Well, I don't know that I think of those necessarily different. I mean, I mean the we 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 bought the site right. We bought it at a time in a location where the path of growth in West Rose wasn't as clear as it clearly is now. Mm-hmm. So that helped us make a good deal on it uh, at the time we bought it, which was basically four years ago. Um, and we, again, as I said earlier, uh, we benefited, I think, from COVID in terms of the lease up and the migration to the suburbs. Right. It just so happens that job creation-wise, both Roseville and Folsom are doing very well as other suburbs are. Like I said, the Inland Empire and other suburbs even around the country at the expense of the city. So every once in a while you get lucky in this business or unlucky with external factors that are outside your control. In this case, I think it's fair to say the external factors uh, were in our favor.
0: Right. And I'm curious what you think the breaking point is. We talked about mortgages. Uh, we talked about uh, interest rates. I mean, if you're taking mortgage rates now, really, it's near zero in the sense that a lot of what's really going on with the two or three percent interest, if you really dig deep into that, what that really is is fee generation and going down the pipeline of how that how that. Uh, debt is being originated at the at the Federal Reserve. You have to have BIPs down the line until you get to you know retail. Um, and I'm curious, you know, if rates can't go much lower and you you don't see wage growth, do you think we're topping out? My question really is, how sustainable is this? You know, I look at you know an apart an older apartment complex, maybe in Pomona, mainly in the Inland Empire. You know, it's trading at more than 300k per unit, 400k per unit. And the people in these units, it's not like their wages are going up. So where is the breaking point? You know, we, on, we obviously know where, what is the good side of the trade. The good side of the trade is to be a homeowner, realize appreciation in your real asset, uh, be the person who owns the apartment complex basically someone who benefits from real appreciating assets rather than a wage worker and i'm just curious where when that trade breaks too far to one side do we have something that's unsustainable
1: so uh, the way i would answer that and i think it's correlated to inflation for a couple reasons number one um and it's been a long time really since we've been an in inflationary period. You have to go back to the late 70s. And so a lot of people uh, really can't remember what that was even like. Uh, but uh, I think the breaking point is going to be because there is a plethora of capital right now in the market. Too much capital chasing too few products. That's always going to mean supply and demand appreciation of prices. So in a, another way of asking the question you're asking me is at what point is there not a plethora of capital? When does it start to contract? And my answer to that would be when, when we start to see inflation and we, when we start to see cap rates start to go up as a result of inflation, which, which carries over to interest rates going up. And we saw that, like I said, in the late 70s, early 80s, And the scary thing about that potentiality is if it gradually occurs, I don't know that the market goes into a shocking condition. But if it doesn't gradually occur, if it becomes a, a, you know, I'll use an example. If the 10-year treasury were to go up 100 basis points in three months, that's not a gradual or 200 basis points in six months. Then, then you're going to have to. Then I think that's going to really uh, create some uh, pause in, uh, in 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 the contraction of capital. Capital, you always have to remember, always is uh, it's unemotional. It's looking for where the best return is. And so, people investing into real estate, they're looking at well, where i could invest in commodities i can invest in the stock market i could even invest in in bonds or whatever else they want to invest in and right now you 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 have this uh you just have a, a pool of money out there as as much as i can ever remember but i don't i think to attempt to answer your question like i said earlier if the market if the general market, we really start to see a lot of inflation, I think that's going to create other shock waves that are going to cause, make it difficult to complete, uh, to continue to build. And um, I don't, you know, that's always hard to predict when that's going to be. Um, it, it's, I, I don't want to even begin to predict that. I do worry we're running up this huge federal deficit in this country and I worry that the Fed is is uh, being too aggressive. I would say in terms of how they're they're buying a lot of bonds to help finance the deficit. They're just in the market buying U.S. Treasuries. At some point, that might, I think, it catches up to us at some point. And so that, you know, at, when is that inflection point going to occur? I I don't think anybody the best experts that they had you on the podcast economic people i'm telling you i'm not sure they could tell you when that's going to happen but at some point we're not going to see this continual uh increase in uh, home prices or, or or commodities i don't think it's sustainable because in the past it's it's at some point it's it's uh it's but the bubbles burst
0: right the other argument here is that uh, the lending requirements, all the regulations are stricter now. So the people actually have the money in the bank now is the, argu- the counter argument. Now I want to get back to uh, what we were talking about when you said the expenses to build have doubled. Uh, if we also look at the rent tables and what your tenants in affordable housing are paying rent wise, um, it's covering less and less of operating expenses for your buildings. And I'm curious, you know, if we have this breaking point uh, it, it's almost a double-edged sword because how, how when the rents aren't going up or the salaries aren't going up, the wages um, and the expenses are outpacing that, you already have slim margins in affordable housing. And uh, a, a second follow-on I'd want to ask you is, what do you think the effect has been since you got into the business in the 80s where a lot of the developments were a lot simpler to build you know, you you know, I've seen you do deals still where it's just the bonds and the rents, but more and more, it's more developers competing for additional subsidy because of these these complicating factors uh, of you know inflating prices and expenses, whether that's due to politics, like the forest and you know the forest on the lumber on private land in Oregon or whatnot. But I'm curious how you think about that.
1: Okay. Um, Let's go back to your comment on the lending. Um, I agree with you. It's better than it was in the early 2000s. I worry it's starting to maybe loosen a little bit, Um, but clearly it isn't as out of control as it was. So I agree with that comment. In terms of the the our situation, I don't lose a lot of sleep at night with your question for the simple reason our entire portfolio, we've effectively locked our biggest expense, which is our our interest rate on our loan. That's our biggest expense. You know, you look at salaries or, or you know, landscaping. Insurance insurance has gone up, but if you look at you know everything, utilities. Our, yeah, utilities. Our biggest expenses are debt and our interest payment on our debt. And we don't have any variable rate now. You always have to worry what happens when the loan comes due. That, that's always a risk but our Thanks. entire portfolio uh, and we've constantly over the last few years have at, at the uh, tried to uh, continue to take advantage of low interest rates by refinancing our loans and in some cases instances, uh, instances taken no excess proceeds and then reinvested back in the community to keep the community in good condition so we didn't have a lot of uh, obsolete, you know maintenance, Obsolete. We're not trying to kick the can down the road. We're trying to keep our communities in really good condition. And so, I don't really worry necessarily as much about. I, I've said for many years uh, to our uh, employees, we haven't had inflation, but we've made decisions assuming there's going to be inflation. And so, I don't know inflations necessarily w- would negatively affect us on our portfolio may negatively affect other people but i think we've been pretty conservative with how we've done our portfolio and how we financed our our existing portfolio now to your comment about the industry you're right in that we we've been in this industry now 30 years and in the 90s uh costs were a lot less uh and uh As a result, you know, for a while, tax credit pricing was less, but gradually it came up. Interest rates were also higher, so part of what's helping finance that, besides the soft money, is we're getting more equity of tax credits, and now the bonds are fixed at four percent and the nine percent. We're getting selling higher prices. I mean, when you're talking back to the nine
0: equity from the tax credits, you're just essentially you're getting more sources to use to build at a higher but we're also
1: getting more debt because the interest rates are less so we can buy more. so now you're correct you're still correct with your question It a typical deal today compared to the 90s does require more soft money the challenge we have with the soft money that you touched upon or just developing in general is over that same period of time in 30 years we have a lot more state regulations both in terms of entitlements but also in terms of building requirements uh you know they uh update the uniform building code every three four years that's never that 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 effect is never mean less requirements it's always more and entitlements uh aren't simpler than they used to be they're more complicated um, and 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 so you know the uh, amount we spend on architecture is sig- significant, and engineering significantly more. And part of that is the consultants have more red tape they have to deal with. On top of that, as we talked about earlier, your building costs are higher. So and and, and we you know we have other state requirements relative, especially whether it involves trying to um, get easier entitlements or using soft money. You've got labor requirements that add significant amount to cost. And you have, so we have a lot of requirements and a lot of people say, well, why does California have such a housing problem? Because the state, they, they, they say they wanna address the affordable housing, And and I do think the the current governor has done a very good job of making or, or putting more heat on the cities that didn't really want to do it to take it more seriously. He deserves a lot of credit for that. But at the same time, there's still a lot of requirements that make it more difficult to efficiently build housing than it otherwise should be, that the state, obviously feels are more important than full production of affordable housing. So that is a still a challenge.
0: Right. They, they almost want their cake and eat it too. They want the union pay, but they want enough housing built on a certain amount of subsidy or funding that they can solve their affordable housing problem. And basically the reality when, it, when I look around is they can't have their cake and eat it too. They can That's do correct. some good. They can, you know, they can build affordable housing and they can, Pay some union workers a high wage, but they can't have it all.
1: Right, and we, I think it's honestly shameful we're not producing more than we are. Uh, and for a long period of time, in the late two thousand decade, in the early twenty teens decade, we weren't even using all our bond allocation. Now, now we are way oversubscribed. But there was a there was a probably ten year period, ten or eleven year period where uh, we weren't even using all our bond allocations. So it's unfortunate that we're not uh, producing more than we are. That's still obviously a goal of the industry to to try to uh, do that. I, again, I think the governor, uh, current governor has taken the the, uh, issue a lot more seriously than the previous governor, not only because we're trying to, uh, there's more, uh, focus on local cities and counties with their housing element, but there's also more state resources now than there was in 2017 to or 2018 uh, to uh, uh, soft money to help uh, uh, fill the uh, subsidy gap to build the housing. So that those two conditions have, have effectively created the condition now where we're you know there's a huge over uh, over demand now for bonds where five years ago they couldn't give away all they couldn't uh, get all their allocation really funded so it's it's changed a lot right hopefully yeah. congress will uh pass this uh what we call uh 25 test and re- reduce the bond the 50 test which means you have to finance half your project with bonds to only 25%, because what that would do is that would allow more bond deals uh, to uh, get done, which would be good for Cal, really good for California.
0: Right, so I mean, there's two things that can happen. You can have massive subsidy increase, to handle the high cost of building here to try to meet that supply demand imbalance, or you can have massive deregulation. I think we can agree the massive deregulation is not going to happen in California. Um, I'm just wondering where the evidence is that that it's going to happen, that there's going to be, you know, supply and demand are going to be coming to equilibrium because there's a lot of incentives for it not to be so you know, developers are building more affordable housing than ever, but there's still, you know, for maybe every one person who wins the lottery uh, to have a spot in an affordable housing development, there's two people who can't find affordable housing. Now, I grant your point on the cities. That's a really good point on that. There's a lot of vacant units there. You know, you could probably get almost luxury apartment in LA right now for 2000 less than 2000 a month with a bunch of, you know, weeks of, free rent. But I guess my question is, where where's the evidence that it's going to happen? Because I mean, right now there's bills that are trying to be passed that would give, you know, the Huntington beaches or these places that don't want to build uh, arena, arena credit for just, you know, doing, you know, rejiggering some apartment complexes that are already built and call it middle income housing. So there's a lot there, but, you know, I think we both live in the real world. You as developer, me as a journalist, there's how it seems and then there's how it actually is. So, well, uh,
1: again, I, I I think um the, the Huntington beaches of the world are more motivated now to uh, meet their housing element than they've been. So that's a positive. So now, I mean, part of the problem now is dealing with all the cost increase, but also having more deals uh, be able to get bond allocations than uh, currently can do it because of the demand and and, and, the, and the and the current uh, legislation uh, that the president is trying to propose. We'll see if it gets enacted, because you know that's not certain for sure would, would, I wouldn't say it would double, but it would probably increase the amount of bond deals, uh, probably 75% say, uh, because you would go, whatever 30 is into 55, whatever, you know, uh, I mean, that's sure. a, you know, that you would still, it wouldn't be a 25%. It'd probably be a 30% test that, and, and, and but that would make a lot more use of the bond allocation. The other thing they're trying to do is uh, free up the rules for recycle bonds because you've got a lot of deals that are using bond allocation. The only motivation is for the 4% credits. And so when they when they convert to permanent, they pay off the bonds. Well, that's kind of wasting bonds. So the legislation's also trying to uh, make more efficient use of recycle bonds. So I think that would that would help a lot. You still it still doesn't address your question on the entitlement issue. And frankly, the uh, you know we're uh, right now in California, there have been a lot of bills to try to uh, uh, make it easier on entitlements. And uh, labor is uh, basically saying, well, we'll support it if uh, it requires labor and and it's like, well, but then you don't achieve the cost of housing and does it really become worth it unless you have to do labor anyway. And so labor cares more about labor than they do, the building trades care more about the building trades than they do affordable housing. That's just really a fact. So that's uh, that's a challenge uh, because I don't think, I think they the building trades have enough Clout right now, given the composition of the state legislature and the governor, that they feel, and probably with good reason, uh, they they are empowered to do what they want to do. And right now, we're not in a position where we can uh, uh, get any uh, bills through, uh, whether it's, you know, converting commercial land to multifamily and making that process easier, whatever. It's, it, I don't see a lot of progress, unfortunately, in that area.
0: And that's uh, what's so important yeah. for people to understand is that for all the people who are hurting, there's also people who are, you know, happy the way things are, whether that's, you know, the people who are, you know, union wages or, you know, even, you know, last year when Scott Weiner made the push for, you know, radical change in zoning, um, there are people happy with zoning the way it is. So. Right there are interests and there are a lot of politics in this business and the reason there are is you know this is this is a social this is not just you know a tech play or something like there's a lot of social implications this is where people live <laughs> like there's a lot of stake here so i, I you know last year jeff when i uh, i had a lot of questions about housing you know i worked in in affordable housing i worked for a nonprofit developer and I said, you know, what's actually going on here? So, you know, what I decided to do, I called you, I called other top developers, I called the policy people, I talked to Scott Weiner. I, I talked to more mainstream politicians, and I just asked all of them the questions. And one quote I picked out today because it stood out to me, uh, was Andrew Djokovic, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his name because it's been here, he's a VP of Policy Development Enterprise. So Enterprise is one of these big you know, big conglomerates in the affordable housing industry. And I I kept coming back to the question, is this a problem that is solvable? And, you know, finally he said, you know, realistically, you know, quote, realistically, given the kind of demonstrated fiscal priorities of the country, you know, I don't see this problem ever being solved. So I finally got someone to say it. And that's not to say we can't make a lot of progress. But um, the question I'd have for you is, you know, uh, what is the difference if there is one between building affordable housing and actually making housing affordable? Because, you know, I come from a sports background. I like to win. I like to play to win. I think a lot of people like to play to win. Um, They want affordable housing to be something where it's, you know, not a game that we have to keep fighting and making incremental progress. I think people want to, you know, play to win here. (laughs) What can we do?
1: Well, um, um, I I feel passionately enough about the industry that I don't ever want to uh, give up on the uh, crusade to try to solve the problem. You know, we 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 might have a different definition on what solving the problem means. Uh, we may obviously, yeah. you know, we 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 have a big homeless condition uh, challenge that we have to. Uh, not only for a social reason, but an economic reason that we have to solve. And part of that, not all of that, is due to not enough affordable housing, but that's not all of it. I mean, you have people with mental health issues and other issues too, that you, you've got to try to address that. And Absolutely. I think we want to get people job trained to get them back into the, back into the uh, working uh, workforce to the extent that there's a sliver of that population that can do that, which I truly believe there is because we've seen evidence of that with programs here in Sacramento. So in terms of your question of what's affordable housing, um, in terms of being affordable or whatever, um, the only way to really address if housing is affordable is more production, uh, more production. And, And so I, I, you're right. It's difficult. Uh, I'm not going to say, suggest otherwise. It is very difficult, but um, I, you know, we need to continue. And, and part of the challenge with our industry is, is the, you know, the for-profit community and the nonprofit community by and large have different priorities. And I'm not saying one's better than the other, but the, the net result of that, it tends to not always make us aligned in terms of housing policy. I mean, the nonprofits, they care more about special needs and they care about deep targeting rents. Not saying that's not important. That's, they don't, production is less important to them. Right. Where the for-profits tend to care about producing as much as possible. And under the theory that if you do that, you will create more uh, housing affordability, and 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 as a result, um, you know you know and, and and you'll reach as many people as you can, and so cost efficiency and production are are higher priorities of the for-profit community relative to the nonprofit
0: community. Right. I mean, I worked at a nonprofit yeah. in the affordable housing industry. Your company is a for-profit, and I've definitely seen that. You know, your company builds much more housing than the, the nonprofit I worked at per employee. Uh, you have many more projects and you crank out a lot more units.
1: Right, and we're still, as a result, like I said earlier, running 97 or 98% occupied. If we right. were running and these are all affordable 85 rents. or 88% occupied, I think the nonprofits would have a stronger argument, but we're running 97, 98 and all our peers, we're not any better than any of our peers they're all running the same numbers we are. Sure. So that's basically uh you know turnover is your is your vacancy. You know, we don't have a bunch of vacant units and and we don't expect anytime soon to have any vacant units on any of our communities, our affordable communities. So 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 it's and and so I think it's important I mean, we're, you know, the other part of the equation that we haven't delved into is, is there gonna be any innovation in building housing in the state and and especially affordable housing. And, you know, right now we're investing in in, and partnering with our uh, uh, friendly competitor who we're partners with. So I I consider him a close personal friend, Caleb Roop, who created a, a uh, affordable housing uh, or a modular uh, housing facility in uh, Boise, Idaho, which there's now three. And what does that mean for
0: people who are listening? That's like factory-built housing.
1: Factory-built housing with robots and and you're craving modular units that are fully loaded spec-wise and then they're being shipped to the site. And that's a more efficient way to do it. There's restrictions relative to floor plans and stuff like that. But uh, you're also seeing the same thing happen in a plant uh, uh, factory OX in uh, Vallejo, which uh, Rick Holiday uh, is doing the same thing. And a lot of the nonprofits are actually using his uh, model. And actually, and obviously, the shipping costs from Vallejo are a lot less than they are from Boise. Uh, but the what's going to help your question is hopefully we're gonna have innovation in building, in building our projects in terms of, to try to engineer the costs, because that, that, that solves a lot of problems. Uh, you don't need as many, uh, uh, you can spread the state's resources uh, to uh, cover more projects because you don't need as much subsidy on a deal if your cost isn't as high. Mm-hmm. Obviously we, we got to get product becoming mainstream, we're not there yet, but I, I think that I think there's a potential to get there. Um, and, you know, modular has been around a long time. I think it's becoming more automated now with technology. And so kind of like solar had been around a long time and then it t- it's time finally came. Right. Um, we'll see if the same is true with modular, but I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't rule that out. And we're never going to get it into a condition where everything's modular. But if modular can pick up, a, 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 you know, let, let's say it's 15% or whatever the number is, 20%, 15%. Uh, that really helps alleviate a lot of problems because not only do you have some material shortages in the other, you, you have an aging workforce in, in uh, labor. And, and, you know, we're, we're we are encouraging, we're having programs working with the BIA and, and, and to try to encourage uh, our residents, our uh, kids of our employees, as well as other people to get into the uh, uh, trades, trade industry with education and training, because uh, you can make a really good living doing that. And not everybody's cut out for college. So there's a concerted effort that we're trying to do, there's still going to be that need no matter what happens with modular. In fact, some of those uh, same people could actually work in a modular factory. But there's such a need and such a demand for housing, modular isn't going to in any way put the stick building uh, way out of business. It's only going to help just alleviate a pretty acute uh, condition that we're in.
0: Right, but let me ask you—you know—playing this out, how how do the guys think about this? Because playing this out, say modular, you do have a technological breakthrough. Um, I'm curious how the top guys think about whether that eats into enterprise value, because or do you think zoning laws are are more protective of enterprise value and per unit property values? Because it, you know, I'm not worried about that.
1: Haven't I haven't had I, people
0: I, think about that or no, as no. a thought experiment. And where
1: I'm, where I'm more concerned. This is where I'm more concerned because my, you are restricted on the the. If, if you're shipping a unit, size wise, because you know you can't obviously a truck is only so able to ship so big a modular unit. Yep. My concern is more. Figuring out a floor plan, not just the deal we're working on, we're working, we're doing the first factory modular with our partner, Caleb Roop in uh, San Jose right now on a senior deal. It's under construction. Okay. Those are all studio units. I think if modular is really going to hit stride, you need to be able to also do it with larger units. The headwind against that is you're constricted what you can do when you ship it, and so part it's it, it's effectively going to be like Legos, but you've got to be able to come up with a way where you can design larger units in a way, or or put them in components to create larger units. Maybe the modular unit's a half unit, and you 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 fit it together like a Lego for a full unit. That's where I think the breakthrough in modular is going to be. And we're not there yet. But I do think with the material uh, challenges, with the labor challenges, that would significantly help the building industry to create a, a way to create product that would take the pressure off of making it fully stick built now. And you also have a panelized model that Katerra has been working on uh, where it isn't the full unit, but at least it's trying to explore with new, more automated technology. And I think the industry, I think it's more a when than an if uh, question when the industry gets there, but it, it, it could take a few years. It, it, it's, right. I'm, I'm I, I still think there's, there's a lot of education the industry still needs and 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 growing pains to get there but but i think it's an i think we we have to get there as an industry given the challenges that we discuss with the cost going up.
0: and so say we get there um and i think we're on the same page with this that when there's a breakthrough you can uh you know build out all this housing you can have production increases you can solve the supply or do better with the supply demand imbalance i'm curious if you think that real estate becomes more stratified at that point because ideally housing would become something like a smartphone if you have technology, you know, even the homeless have it, you know, every homeless person I've met has had a smartphone. And so I'm curious if you see, you know, this wouldn't harm enterprise value, you know, homeowners wouldn't be scared that, well, oh, all this, all this housing's being built, my, you know, single family home in San Luis Obispo or wherever isn't worth as much. I think that it could be, you know, like an apple where, you know there are productivity gains and you know real gains for society, and the enterprise value and benefit is still there. The prices don't have to be depressed, but then again, right. I think that the prices for you know workforce or uh, lower income housing they 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 do need to be more affordable. So I don't know if it becomes more stratified. How do you think about that?
1: Well. In theory, you're right. I I I don't worry. Well, I'm just
0: curious. I'm not worried. I, I,
1: <laughs> I don't I, one thing I don't worry about is I don't see maybe in some rural communities, if we start producing a lot, I don't see in my business career or probably even in my lifetime, a condition, and and that was back, I guess, to your point earlier of quote, when do we solve the problem? Um, I'd like to think we're going to make a lot of headway in solving the problem and want to not give up and never doing that. Having said that, do I ever see a condition where we have an oversupply of housing in California? Probably not. I think there's too many headwinds to get to that condition. Sure, you're going to have instances like we talked about earlier, like we had in the early 90s. Where we'll be in a recession, it'll hit the wall and you'll have a pause and there won't be any building because it won't make economic sense in a moment of time for, for home builders or developers to build. I think in the affordable housing, in that in those times, it almost makes it easier for us because the the trades are more hungry, it's easier to buy land. And and it's I, I don't I don't think the production of affordable housing even in a downturn necessarily stops. But in terms of market rate, whether it's a, an apartment or whether it's a single family home, sure, you're gonna have a slowdown and, and some kind of maybe pullback in prices. But I don't see a condition where we've solved this problem and we've just got to, you know, we, we become what potentially Phoenix or Las Vegas or Atlanta or Texas, you know, or, you know, Denver where, you have an ability in all those markets to just produce on a mass labor, mass scale without really, you know, Houston, they don't even have zoning or used to not even have zoning in Houston. I don't know if they do or not anymore, but you you definitely have fewer fewer barriers of entry to building housing and constraints to building housing in other parts of the country, which makes it a lot easier to get it in an overbuilt condition. I don't see that really being something that's going to happen. In California, um, certainly, in in in, uh, in the next 20 years, I just don't see that as a reality. What I hope occurs is is you know for your generation particularly, is uh, and 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 the next generation after that is enough supply being created where we we don't continue to continue to have this escalation of pricing. And that if it's paused for a while, you know the wages can maybe catch up. But you know there's a lot of external factors that play into that. Uh, oh, the idea, wage, Jeff,
0: real quick, is that the technological innovation would overcome the lack of political reform. Um, is that sort of what you're getting at in terms yeah, of California? Because you're saying, that, that, well, we're that, not going to
1: have that. I I don't know that I would use the word overcome. It might help alleviate it. Okay. Yeah, I don't think it's going to overcome it, but it might help alleviate it. That's the way I would say it.
0: Got it. Okay. And uh, and then adding on to that, uh, massive subsidy, right? <laughs> because you're going to need that too.
1: Well, you don't need again, as I said earlier, though you don't need as much of it if there's technological innovation that allows you to do it. Now, whether or not that can play itself out on some kind of scale, like I said earlier, I'm not sure. Yeah. It would be nice if we could get there because it would be nice to whatever precious public resources we have. You know, we're in the business of using public resources on the one hand. On the other hand, I'm a taxpayer of California and it's important to me that we we use our public resources as judiciously as possible, as efficiently as possible to get the most bang for our buck. I really passionately feel strongly about that. Yeah. And so anytime where I don't see that occurring, I get frustrated. Yeah. Just like I get frustrated with dead space on a mm-hmm. uh, on a unit or on a on a property. I hate, I hate inefficiency. It's nails on a chalkboard. <laughs> yeah,
0: especially in California. <laughs> yeah. So I'm curious, as a young person, you know, there. I guess one thing that's been tough as a young journalist is how do I navigate all the noise? Because we're having a sober conversation about this, you know, realistic conversation about this relative to other places like Houston. But there's so much talk, you know. There's this, there's that, uh, and I mean, what what would you say to young people who are trying to understand things as they actually are and navigate this? from your experience as a developer
1: i you know as a developer or somebody starting out when you are no, i'm well your experience
0: as a developer just informs that because you've had to live in the you know navigate the real world uh and not just all these different narratives that you see in the media or from politicians
1: well i i i would i mean are you asking me to any young person or a person getting into development. That's what I'm trying to understand.
0: No, I mean, a young person who's just trying to understand how actually things are, because I i know young people in my journalism program who, you know, just believe The the spin like oh you know we're we are gonna you know fix it through this government subsidy because let's be real that's what it you know sometimes it's put out into the press as you know this subsidy is gonna make it or that thing is gonna could this be the fix to California's problem you know you see an article like that Uh, this one zoning change or this or that Um, how would you encourage young people to to navigate all that information that's being so
1: my and it wouldn't be limited to just uh, affordable housing in California, the subject would pertain to a lot of subjects. Try, I would encourage people to um, ask a lot of questions to people, tune into podcasts like this, just to become more educated and, and try to really get an uh, a better understanding of, of what the issues are and why they are the way they are. And, and also I would encourage people to uh, uh, speak up and have a voice and be engaged. I mean, we need young people and uh, your generation to uh, be engaged in any kind of public policy, let alone affordable housing, any kind of public policy. That's very important to trying to get to a better place on, on any issue, just not, not only our industry.
0: Yeah. All right. So I got to ask you a few more questions. You ready for it?
1: Fire
0: away. All right. So i am still not, Oh, I still got to figure this out. So if affordable housing is not in the real world is not exactly about making all housing affordable. Yes. It's about, you know, navigating these political realities and making affordable housing and doing what you can with what you have. Um, I don't know. That's just a weird thing to grasp. <laughs> I don't know. I'm so used to like sports or something that's much more uh, black and
1: white. <laughs> so Matt, let me attempt to answer this. I don't know if I'll succeed on your end, but let me attempt to answer this. Um, I think the home builders, you know, they vary on what type of product they do, but a lot of them really geared to the entry level to try to keep their pro uh, cost down. Okay. Yeah. We, our situation is a little bit different on the affordable, and then I'll get to the market rate apartment part. On the affordable, the HUD, as you know, is setting all our rents. So the making it affordable to live, the nonprofits would say, well, they're trying to do it by deep targeting the rents. As I said earlier, the for-profits are trying to do it because the rents are already way below market in most cases in California. We're trying to do it to capture as many people that can live in our communities and take advantage of uh, uh, being able to live in affordable housing. So that's our attempt to do it. But there's a segment of the market that we shouldn't ignore in your question. And that's a segment of the market where people maybe don't wanna buy or can't afford to buy a house. And so they live in an apartment and they make too much money. So they're over 60% median income. Um, And so they have to live in a market rate apartment. And so one of the trends you're gonna see forward that we are working on is trying to come up with a model for workforce housing, which means you're paying not a market rate price. You make too much income to live in an affordable community but maybe you are paying a rent anywhere from 80 to 120% median income. And so what does that mean in rent? That could mean anywhere from uh, a third more to what somebody's paying 60% median income is to double that. Uh, Probably in most cases, that number is like 50% more in, in rent versus a very low subsidized rent but still below what they would have to pay in a market rate condition. And so we're, we're, there are equity funds out there looking at this. We're, we're trying to come up with economic models to capture and do, to provide workforce housing. We're trying to use our own affordable housing product because we constantly turn away over-income people that wanna live in our communities. That would pay higher rent that's 60% median income. I right. mean, you drive by one of USA's communities, you don't think it's affordable housing. We build right. nice communities. I don't mind, I know that sounds like I'm bragging, but most, I most don't take my word, take other people's word. So we're trying to take our product and cater it to a higher income, same product, and, and be able to uh, structure the financing where it can support not, not charging full market rent and capture a segment of the market that needs effectively to your question, more affordable housing.
0: Right. But the way this is done is, and this is where I question, how much longer is this sustainable? Is you're taking tax exempt bonds to do this with a hundred percent debt. That's the model. Not, I've not seen. with
1: workforce we're not.
0: Okay. I'm just saying that's we the model. that's already out
1: there. Workforce, uh, we I mean, the only way you'd be using tax-exempt bonds is if you did a, a nonprofit 501c3 issue, because SIDLAC's rules don't allow really. There's income averaging, so some units right now you can go Okay, up I'm percent. yeah. I just what I saw. I'm talking workforce housing, and 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 in that in in most instances you would be using private capital. Uh, you might get some small little government subsidy, but nothing like we're getting on an affordable because the idea behind it is you wouldn't need as much because you could, it would support uh, a higher rent supports a bigger loan and more economic. So you don't need as much subsidy, but you still need to make the numbers work uh, in a way where the, the people living in the community are are feeling like they're getting a below market rent. Right, There's a lot of talk nationally uh because this is a, not only a problem in California, it's a problem in a lot of a lot of uh, uh high high cost areas in the country. we need more workforce housing uh to alleviate the condition I said earlier where over a third of the, our residents are paying more than half of their income and rent. So Which is, I, I do think that is going to be a condition. And again, to your question about affordable housing, uh, my definition of affordable housing, even though uh, that extends beyond just Section 42 type of communities with tax credits, to me, we should be trying to make all all housing in California affordable uh, to the extent possible. Because when you look at the need, the greatest need is is in that space. Somebody they want to build high-end luxury, have at it. But if you look at the demographics of need, that's not where the huge the, the biggest need is. It's in the whether it's an entry-level single-family home or whether it's uh, a firefighter or a teacher that wants to live in an apartment but not pay full market rent given what their income is or whether it's in uh, affordable housing you know where we have the or, or tax credit a low income housing tax credit 60 or less of median income yeah that's where the need is
0: right and you mentioned a, a firefighter and a teacher and one thing i've thought about is you know a firefighter and a teacher they could come and you know, buy a home in the coast, in a coastal community in the seventies or eighties. And I'm not trying to live in the past, but I am trying to say the the trade is not as good for the middle-class. The deal is not as good for the middle-class in California as it was before. So the deal oh, now is, great. oh, I'm going to have, you know, some sophisticated actors figure out how to make my rent affordable instead of paying 50%. And, you know, I know families, you know, some people who moved to Boise, Idaho last year, you know, they got in at the last minute in the Boise market, you know, they were able to buy a home up there. um, And, you know, who knows, it might be up like 30% now, but which is crazy. Like we said, that may be, you know, a temporary thing, but my thought is what's the trade for the middle-class here? You know, if you're making 150 K in California, and you know, you're paying 20, 30% in taxes, you know, 25 to 35% in rent, which that would be considered affordable. What's your take on that and on that salary compared to somewhere else? And what's your future? Are you gonna be able to roll that into a mortgage or a down payment? Um, So I just think the trade for the middle class, regardless of making rents affordable is just not what it was decades ago um, you're right
1: you're absolutely right and that is a big challenge for california to try to keep the middle class it's one of the reasons we moved our business here to sacramento from la 1993 because we thought it was more affordable to live in sacramento this this is something the state needs to continue to try to address uh, because you never want to lose your middle class and you're correct a lot of people are moving out of the state because of our uh, not just the housing cost, but because of the tax policy of, of, of the state being what it is. And we need to we need to try to create a better tax policy and more affordable housing. And unfortunately, you have a lot of headwinds, uh, uh, political headwinds that uh, tend to um, counteract that. And that's a big challenge for the state. There's no no debating that.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's difficult. I mean, being brutally honest, like myself, cutting costs, um, you know, whether that's living at home, making a little bit of money, it's scary that with shrewd investments in this environment, since COVID, I can do better on an after-tax basis than someone who makes 150K, who's productive, who has a family that just doesn't seem right. That seems like things are screwed up. Right. So anyways, I find that interesting. Um, it's like Charlie Munger said, show me the incentive and I will show you the outcome. There you uh, go. Jeff, it's been good to have you on. Uh, do you have any questions for me?
1: I don't. I don't. I appreciate the time to talk to you about this. And I hope I answered all your questions in a way that uh, the audience will understand and appreciate and hopefully learn and uh, appreciate you uh, doing your podcast on various issues to educate the public.
0: Yeah, it's good stuff. Um, last thing, what would advice would you give to a young person who's navigating this environment financially?
1: Na- navigating the affordable housing in California environment? Affordable
0: housing, asset prices, whether it's stocks, real estate, well, whatever, I, I, their I, salaries or what they are.
1: My advice would be uh, try to get on the ladder, get a good job, do something you love uh john wooden's comment was you find a job you love you'll never have to work a day in your life that's to me the most important thing financially i'm a big believer and i i love it you know we lose residents in our communities in our affordable housing communities harder today maybe than it was 20 years ago but we still do to buy houses I love that outcome because it's it's to me a poster child of what we're trying to do to help people. And it's not like I have to worry we're gonna be able to fill the unit back up. So my advice to young people is uh, sooner rather than later if there's a way, assuming you know you're gonna to wanna to live somewhere or have or think you do, is I would try to buy a house or something Uh, sooner rather than later uh, and get on, just like it's important to get on the work and employment ladder to get experience, I would try to get on the housing because your your point about assets is correct. And um, I would try to buy something sooner rather than later if you can. Don't get overextended doing that though. You got to know what you're signing up for and doing that. Uh, but I would I would encourage people to do that because I think uh, if you can, like I said earlier, you were asking about our expenses in our in our apartment projects. Young people, in theory, their income should go up as they get more experience and more responsibility. If they buy a house and they lock their interest rate, they're locking their biggest personal expense. Just like I told you, we were doing that in our portfolio on our on our property expense with our loan that would be my advice to young
0: people yeah all right jeff brown presidency of usa properties go check out a property if you didn't believe him when he said uh, they build high quality they do thanks jeff
1: thank you so much man
0: take care